Well, this morning, we are going to be talking about the, the equality of authentic love. So if you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 1 through 13. I just want to start by asking you a question. Who does God love? Okay, that's good. He loves you. That's right. God loves everybody. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this than that he would lay down his life for his friend. And what did Jesus do for us? He laid down his life for us, right? He died for us. And beyond dying physically for us, Jesus paid the price for our sin. He took the penalty for our sin. That's an unimaginable, uncomprehensible thing. And Jesus did that for everyone. And we're supposed to love other people the way God loves us. And so when you think about your life, when you think about people in your life, you need to love every person you see. If you're a Christian, you need to love them the way God loves them. And that is enough to be willing to give your life for them. That's who, what God calls us to. It's, it's amazing how we can have a tendency to categorize and discount people for all kinds of different reasons. And when we do that, it is both an expression of pride, but it's also a, an expression of a lack of love. And we have a tendency to do that, and we do that sometimes because we're elevating ourselves. And so we can do these calculations to figure out What's the more important group? What's the group that's most important? And whatever group we're in, we figure out a way for that to be the most important group. And so we can be people that discount others. And we can do that religiously. Do you remember Jesus talking about the Pharisees? And you had that Pharisee that was praying and he was looking up into heaven and saying, I am so glad that I'm not like that sinner over there. And he just felt better than other people. And we can sometimes, because we know the Lord or we go to church or we think we know the Lord, we can look down on people who don't instead of loving them the way God loves them. We can do that in regard to age. Do you remember that in the Bible? The disciples were telling the little kids, hey, get out of here. Have you ever seen kids be discounted? It's like, no, the important people are the adults, the kids. Get out of here, kid, you bother me. Sometimes we discount kids when God loves kids. How about older people? We have a culture that disregards age. We think that if you're young and beautiful, wow, that's amazing. Everybody's trying to look young. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to honor people with gray hair. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll let the few hairs I have grow out so I can get some honor. Well, no, I got some here. I got some here. But we have a culture where we try to cover it all up because we honor youth. We don't honor age. We uh, dishonor people socially. We, we figure out social classes and we honor some classes more than others. Economically, if you're well off financially, sometimes we honor people that are well off fi financially. Racially, we can see people in different categories. You know, it's amazing, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about a final judgment. It's the judgment that, now that we've gone over Revelation, we know happens at the end of the tribulation. But Jesus talks about the standard that he uses to, to judge people that are there on earth. And it says that he separates the sheep from the goats. So this is the believers from the unbelievers. And he says to the believers, 
I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I had needs and you met my needs. And they look at him and say, Jesus, when did we do that? We never saw you. And he says, in that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then he looks to the unbelievers and he says, depart from me into, the hell, into hell, which is created for the devil and his angels, because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You did not give me something to drink. And I was naked and you did not clothe me. And then Jesus, they, they look at Jesus and say, hey, when did we see you and neglect you? And he says, when you neglected the least of these, you were neglecting me. Now think about that as you approach life and as you see people and as you view people and realize that God takes personally the way you treat each person, the way you think about people, the way you talk about people when they're not around. God takes that personally. And so this is kind of the topic that we're going to be looking at this morning because James addresses this in the church. This is a church full of Jewish believers, people who know him, and they are valuing people incorrectly, and so he addresses it, and then he gives two solutions. So first of all, he, he tells them that if you are show favoritism, which is a description of those things I just talked about, if you show favoritism, that is incompatible with Christianity. If you know the Lord, that doesn't fit. And the solution to it, he gives two solutions. Number one is to realize that it's your responsibility to love every person the way you love yourself. So every person you see, you need to see yourself in that person and love them the way you would love yourself. That's a pretty amazing thought if you really consider what that means. And the, the next thing is to recognize that you are no different than any other person. You are in dire need of God's mercy. And if you don't show that mercy to other people, God's not going to show it to you. We need to give some thought to that because sometimes people might think that they're earning God's mercy by being merciful, which that's actually not the case. But... We need to pay attention to those words because they're pretty powerful. So let's look at James chapter 1, verse 1 through, or James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Should we read it or should we just talk about it? No, we should read it. Okay. All right. Partiality is not compatible with Christianity. It doesn't fit. And I just want to go on to say that that doesn't mean no Christian shows partiality. It does not mean that in history no Christian has shown partiality, but I want to go way out there on a limb and say there's a lot of people who say they're Christians, and sometimes Christianity gets the credit for their partiality when the truth is there's tons of people claiming to be Christians who are not Christians. And isn't that a great strategy of Satan? Let's get one of my servants, have him behave a certain way and call himself a Christian so God can get the credit. And actually, to some degree... That's something we ought to think about because if we do this, what does that say about us? So let's look at this. James chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, my brothers. That's an affectionate term. He's talking to believers, people who know the Lord, people who are in this, they're Christians. And then he says this. He says, show no partiality. That is a command. He is telling them, you are not to show partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So he is saying, 
if you are a Christian, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you are to show no partiality. And I just want to say that is a general statement about valuing people based on externals. It's showing favoritism. It's biased judgment based on race, wealth, rank. It's discarding the intrinsic value of, a sing- of an individual and of a person. And James is saying, as a believer, don't do that. And then he's going to pick an example, and I think that it's interesting because he then identifies something that's going on in the church. So this application, this example that he's about to explain, that is not the only application of showing partiality. It just happens to be the one that this church was struggling with. Don't you love that, the way James does that? It's like he explains something and then he figures out where you're doing it and he says, right there. And it's so convicting, it's so challenging. But the word for partiality, by the way, it's plural. So it's talking about all the different ways that this happens. And so um, when you think about partiality and exalting people, this is a Jewish body of Christ. And their religious leaders all like to be put in positions of honor. They, they like the best seats at all the feasts. They, they love that. And Jesus in Matthew 23 is just pronouncing judgment on the Pharisees and saying, you guys are in big trouble and you're religious, but you are in trouble because you like to be first. You walk into feasts and you want to sit in the place of honor. You love it when people give you respectful greetings. And so these Jewish believers, they've kind of grown up in a culture where the wrong people were honored for the wrong reasons. And so he talks about that. Now, it's interesting because Jesus was not like that. In fact, when the Pharisees were trying to set a trap for Jesus, they were asking him about taxes. Hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes? And we know that you don't show partiality, so tell us. And so they actually used that, but they picked out a, a, a part of Jesus' character. He was not a respecter of persons. He wasn't saying, who's powerful? Who can hurt me? I'm going to placate them. And so then they try to ask him this question and trap him. You should read the story. It's good. You know, Jesus was looked down. Here, he's the Lord of glory, and yet he was looked down on in his culture. You ever think about that? Remember when somebody said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Where did Jesus come from? That was, by the way, one of his disciples that said that (laughs) when they were being called. Jesus was poor. Remember when somebody wanted to follow him and he said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't even have anywhere to lay his head? Jesus was poor. And when we show partiality, it's actually because we don't view life correctly. It's because we don't view people correctly. And that's incompatible with Christianity. So what is happening here? What's, what's this thing? And it's kind of interesting because James is now going to describe something that happens in the church, and he's actually going to talk about how they treat their visitors. Now think about that. In some ways, you can go to church, and you're there, why? To see your friends, right? Hey, where are my friends? I want to go talk to my friends. And maybe somebody new walks in, and nobody knows who they are, and are they important or not? Who knows? We don't even know who they are. And so the way sometimes visitors are treated can be an expression of how we view people as a whole. It's one of the things I love about this church. You guys are friendly. 
And um, when Michelle and I visited here and nobody who knew who we were, you were nice to us. And then after you figured out who we were, you were still nice to us. So, <laughs> so we like that. We, we think this is a great group of people. But here's what's happening. In this Jewish church, rich people are being given preference over poor people. Look at James chapter 2, verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring, and by the way, it's, that's, that has the idea of having a bunch of gold rings all over his hands, and wearing fine clothes, something really flashy. If he comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So we're talking about these two new people that need to be shown a seat. If a rich person comes in, they're treated differently than a poor person. And it says, if that happens, verse 3, you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothes and you say, sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. So when you think about the disregard that is shown to this poor person, it's not even, hey, go sit over there or, hey, come sit by my feet. It's like, hey, you come here. You, we have a good seat for you up front. And if you're poor, well, we don't care what you're doing. You can sit on the floor over here, go in the back. But just, just go find somewhere to sit that's out of the way. Complete disregard. And then he goes on and he says, if you do that, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That word for distinction, that's to discriminate. And in this sense... It's used the way we use discrimination in our culture. Now, the problem with our culture, our culture is completely incapable of identifying the problem with racism, with classism, with all the different kinds of improper discrimination. Our culture is incapable of correctly identifying what the problem is and coming up with a solution. They mix all kinds of things together. They mix moral values. They mix character. They, miss, they, mix, um, they mix people's race. They mix your social status. They just mix all kinds of things together, and they have no idea how to pick out what the problem is and resolve the problem. And it's because in our culture, we've disregarded what God says about people and about the reason that people have value. And so we can't figure those things out. So anybody who's sitting around waiting for us to pass a new law to fix the problems that are going on, it is not going to happen. Every time a law is passed, they solve one small problem and create three more. We have a culture that's incapable, but I want you to know something. As Christians, we are not incapable of resolving those problems because we can think the way God thinks and we can think about people the way God thinks about people and we can genuinely figure out how to love and how to help people. And the saddest thing of all is when the people who in a sense have a key to resolve the problem don't think the way God wants them to think. And we can, we can look throughout history and we can see many examples of that. So we definitely don't want to be those people and so it's not making distinctions that's a problem. It's the reason you make your distinctions, and it's what you do with your distinctions. If you, for example, look at a person and go, hey, you're working really diligently, and you're working really hard, and that's good. Look, look at the positive things. I'm, you know, look, look at the good things happening in your life because you're working hard. That's, that's not a bad thing to recognize that, to notice that, or to say to somebody else, hey, you got lots of problems in your life. 
It's because you're lazy. See, Joe, he gets up early and he studies and then he goes to work. And hey, good job, Joe. And, and Fred, dude, you sleep in till 2 o'clock every day. You don't clean your room. You don't do your homework. Look at all these things that are going wrong in your life. Dude, get up in the morning. Do some work. See, to make a distinction is not a bad thing. But it depends on what you make distinctions about and, and even how you respond to that, how you respond to a person who's working hard or how you respond to a person who's not working hard. And then let's just extrapolate that out in every situation. So we have a culture that doesn't know how to do that. But we need to be people who think the way God wants us to think. And so he goes on and he just says, when you do this, you're doing a terrible thing. Now, I just want to explain something. In that story... Who's being loved? Is the rich person being loved or is the poor person being loved? (laughs) That's right. Neither person's being loved. See, when you approach life that way, they weren't genuinely loving a rich person. They were just thinking, hey, you have something that could help me. They were using rich people. So they didn't love the rich people and they didn't love the poor people. They was just purely saying, hey, who can I manipulate and what can I do and who can I get close to to get something from you? Now, if somebody loves you because you're rich, isn't that kind of a problem? What if you lose your money? I had a friend in high school who um, ended up just making this really great decision from a business perspective and my two friends from high school ended up being millionaires, you know, within three years after they graduated from high school. And by the way, one of them never graduated from high school. But through a course of things that ended up happening in their lives, they lost all their money. And one of my friends, these two friends lived together. And one of my friends came home and he found my other roommate. He had hung himself in his, it was his roommate, but had hung himself in his room. See, he lost everything, and all of his value came from what he had. And so when he lost everything, he didn't think he had value. And what's sad is sometimes we value people based on what they have, and that's wrong. That's not real love. And then he goes on in verse 5 through 7, and he just explains how valuing people for external things is such a terrible reason to value somebody. And here's how he explains. It's completely contradictory. So he says, listen, my beloved brother. So he loves these people. He's trying to help them. Has not God God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So he's saying you disregard poor people, but aren't poor people the ones that God has given faith to? And then he says, you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the one who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You know, partiality is not even rational. Now, he's not saying that all poor people are believers and all rich people are not believers. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, if you reuse rich and poor to value people, you're going to disregard people who are your brothers in Christ that who know the Lord that you should be dying for and encouraging and helping and you are giving preference to people who potentially hate God. And so the thing is, as you think about life, do you think about it from a spiritual perspective or do you use these external things that who knows what they could even really mean? And so it's not even rational 
And these are just their specific things. You know, Psalm 15 uh, lists people who can be close to the Lord, who can sojourn in your tent, who can dwell on your holy hill, he who walks blamelessly and does what's right and lists off these character qualities. But here's one of the qualities for people who get to go to heaven. It says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He who does these things will never be moved. So James is just saying when you use these external things, you're missing one of the pieces of integrity. Now, just think about we have a culture that's so enamored by fame. If, if like a famous football player, baseball player, or actor walked in, do you think they'd get any attention? And then if somebody poor walked in, we might not even notice that person, but we might run over and try to get an autograph. We have a culture that is so enamored with celebrity. And this is not one of the things that factors into who we value or what we value. Well, who loves the Lord? And it's not that we despise evil people, but we, des- we despise the things that they stand for. We, we are heartbroken. We want to see them come to know the Lord. We see them as a spiritual person that, that, that has a spirit and that needs to be saved. And so this is one of the things that we see. Um, partiality does not reflect God's character. When you think about when the gospel came to, um, to Peter and he's told to go preach to Cornelius, he's really struggling with the idea of going to a Gentile. And one of the things that he says after that whole lesson is he, look, he says this, so Peter opened up his mouth and he said, I truly understand that God shows no partiality But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. When you think about these attitudes, the gospel really is at stake when we as believers have attitudes that we have. The church, by the way, it's not a building, right? The church isn't a building. It's the people. So who's the church? It's you. So does Foothills Church love people? Okay, well, you can answer that question, do I love people? Is Foothills Church friendly? Well, that all depends on if you're friendly. Does, does Foothills Church, is it a group of people? Are we people that honor the Lord and love the Lord? Well, that all depends. Do you honor the Lord? Do you love the Lord? And a lot of times it's funny. I'll see people who are Christians and they'll say, I can't stand how Christian be, Christians behave. And I'm just like, well, wait a second, you're one. Or people who say, our church isn't this, or our church isn't that. And I just think, well, are you here? Because you're actually who the church is. We need to think about the fact that having biblical attitudes, honoring the Lord and how we think and behave in these areas is critical because the church, and that means you, represent Christ to the world. You are supposed to be a picture of Jesus. You're supposed to feel about people the way God feels about them. People are supposed to know how God feels about them by the way you treat them, by the way you talk to them, by how you are toward them. And we need to be really careful about the attitudes that we hold on to. Have you ever, have you ever thought, you ever heard somebody say something that you just think, okay, you'd never say that in public? Have you ever said things in private that you would never say in public? You know, there's, a, there's an important lesson we need to learn, and we could learn it from TV and politics, but the mic is always on. I mean, if you ever, somebody's sitting there, they think the mic's off and they say something, uh, you might say something that you think nobody's going to hear and somebody might hear it. 
you might say things and express attitudes that maybe the people it's about don't hear it, but do your kids hear it? Do the other people around you hear it? How does the things you say impact the people around you and your kids? But you know, there's something even more important than that. The things that you say are a reflection of what you think and what's in your heart. And so do you say and do you think things that would displease God, that would dishonor God, that would be unkind or hurtful to a person that God loves and died for? So it's a pretty serious thing because it's a reflection of your own heart, but not just that. God hears and God sees everything you say and everything you do. And we live our life before God. Now think about that. How does God feel when you think things or say things that are inappropriate about a person that he loves and he died for? So we need to take very seriously the things that are in our heart and in our mind. Now we're going to go quick with the rest of this, only because we need to go quickly. Here's the second thing that's so important. Instead of partiality, we are to genuinely love everybody as we love ourselves. James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you are doing well. So what's the solution? Well, love other people the way you love yourself. Do you like being discarded, disregarded? It doesn't feel good. When you get ignored, you ever had somebody talking to you and, and in mid-sentence, somebody else important walks in and they just turn around and walk away and it was just like, okay, and then you just go off? Do you like being discounted, ignored? Um, then don't do that to other people. How, how do you love yourself? So if you were really hungry and you had some money and you could buy some food and you were starving, would you buy some food and eat it? No, you probably would. What if you were cold and you had a jacket? Would you put it on? Yeah, see, we, we have a culture where everybody talks about how that they need to learn to love themselves more. I just want to go out there. I've never read a verse where the Bible says you need to learn to love yourself more. In fact, it's just the assumption that you love yourself. I think even sometimes when people are feeling discouraged and they're just feeling like, oh, man, I just can't take the pain of life and I want out, it's an expression, I think, even of loving yourself when you say, I don't want to feel this pain anymore. I'm going to make this pain stop. I don't think our problem in culture is that we don't love ourselves enough. I think our problem is that we love ourselves too much and we don't love other people the same way we love ourselves. And so that's, in a sense, the trick. What would you do for yourself? Well, that person's cold and they have no jacket. I'm going to give them my jacket. You know, Jesus said, Consider the needs of others as more important than yourself. Um, that's Philippians chapter 2. We're supposed to have that attitude that Jesus had. And so the solution to this problem is to love other people the way that you love yourself. Now I want you to think about this for a second. What do you think of when you see a homeless person? Do you see yourself there? Do you picture what if that was me? What do you think of when you meet somebody from another country? Do you think... Okay, what if I was in another country? Like, do you put yourself in the place of other people? What do you think when you meet a celebrity? Do you, do you feel like, oh, man, you're so important. You're so amazing. I hope I don't say anything stupid. Do you put them up on a pedestal? Um, 
Is that what you think when you meet an unbeliever? Do you look at an unbeliever and to some degree see yourself and to say there's a person, and this is the key to thinking about people correctly, there's a person who's made in God's image, there's a person who needs God's mercy, I'm somebody made in God's image, and my value comes not because what I have or what I can do, but because I'm made in God's image, and I need God's mercy, I want to express God's mercy to others. Are we people that see ourselves properly in that way? You know, the whole idea of race, you know, if you have an evolutionary mindset, I could see how you can get to bizarre views on race. But can we think about this for a second? If you're a person that reads the Bible, what do you know? You know that every single person came from Adam and Eve. So if you were to take every race and you were to mix every race equally, what would you have? You would have, you would have a person that was closer to Adam and Eve um, because every race came from Adam and Eve. Then we can go back and we all come back to another six set of people. We got Noah and his wife. Uh, we are all related to Noah and his wife and we're all related to the parents of Noah's three sons' wives. So if you were to just tra- go back and say, where, did, where do we have some diversity? Well, we all come from Adam and Eve, and we all come from Noah and his three sons and their wives. So we all come from the same place. So would you, would you value somebody? Oh, you're tall, you're short, you got brown hair, uh, you, you've, you've got, you know, do we, would we value people? You got blue eyes, you got brown eyes. Do, do we make value judgments based on those things? How could any Christian who reads the, the Bible not see every person with the same love and the same dignity and the same equality. How could that happen? That doesn't fit with true, accurate thinking. And yet we live in a culture, we're so confused about things, we can't tell the difference between the value of human life and the value of an animal's life. Do you remember three years ago, some little kid slips into a gorilla cage And the gorilla grabs the little boy and the zoo owners just decide, okay, we got to save that kid's life. We could tranquilize it, but what if we shoot the gorilla and as it's getting tranquilized, it kills the kid? Okay, we can't do that. So it was a very quick, easy decision and they just went and shot the gorilla and went and saved the kid. And there was this outcry that people killed a gorilla to save a kid. You know, we have a culture that is so backwards, that that values things so incorrectly, that they're willing to euthanize or kill old people, but they'll throw, throw some big fit if somebody puts a dog to sleep. And that's not to say that we don't value animals, but animals are in a different category than people. And so we need to love people the way we love ourselves. And it's interesting because God actually helps Israel with this. God told Israel, you are not allowed to mistreat a foreigner. You are not allowed to pervert justice to a foreigner. You are to love a foreigner the way you love yourself. That's what the nation of Israel was told in the Old Testament. And God always follows that up with, you are a foreigner in Egypt. So you think about how you were treated in Egypt and how you wished you would have been treated in Egypt. That's the way you treat foreigners. And so that's what God says, love people as you love yourself. Some of the things that Jesus did that make people the most mad was the racial things he did and said. You ever pick that up in the the Bible? You know, Jesus was poor, but he was collecting money for the poor. Remember that? Judas used to hold the money bag. 
when they bought the, the, the uh, perfume, Judas was saying, hey, couldn't that have been sold for more money? So Jesus was caring for the poor. Uh, he cared for every race. Remember the woman at the well? Disciples are shocked. What's he talking to her for? She's a Samaritan. And then Jesus tells a story about Elijah, and he says, you know, Elijah, when he was here, he didn't stay with any of the um, widows in Israel. He say, stayed with a widow from Sidon. And then he says, and Elisha, he didn't heal any of the lepers in Israel. He, he healed Naaman, a Syrian. And the Jews, when he started saying, see, God loved and God cares about Gentiles, they got so mad they tried to grab him and throw him off a cliff. Do you remember that? So Jesus did that. How about sinners? The woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because he hung out with sinners. And when he looked across the nation of Israel and he saw lost people, he was moved with compassion and just saying, they're sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples, pray that God would send people to reach those people who are lost. Is that the way we think about people? Or do we say, oh, we're good Christians, we're gonna retreat, we're gonna hide, let's get away from everyone in the world, those are bad people out there. Or do, are we people that are in the world though we're not of the world? So let's look at the third thing here, and I think that this is something that really helps us. Instead of thinking that we're better than others, we should display mercy as we've received it. Look at verse nine. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of all. For if he who said don't commit adultery also said don't commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So he just says to them, he proves to them by the way they're treating people, you show favoritism. And if you're guilty of that, you are guilty of everything because you are a lawbreaker. You deserve God's wrath and judgment. Do you feel like you are a respecter of persons? Well, um, let me just ask you this. Have you ever felt insecure? Because if you felt insecure, then you are a respecter of persons. Are there some people you feel comfortable around? but other people you feel insecure around. You think they're too important. You value their opinion too much. You don't see them as a person made in God's image. You see them as a person you need approval from. And you're afraid that you're gonna do or say something that's not gonna get their approval. So if you feel insecure, you are a respecter of persons. If you're prideful toward other people, if you've ever looked at someone and thought, you know, I think I'm better than you, or look at that person down there, if you have ever had a thought like that, then you have showed favoritism. If you've ever disregarded needs, then you're a person who shows favoritism because you take care of yourself and you take care of your family, but you ignore other people. So if you've ever ignored one person in favor of another or done any of those things, then you're guilty. And if you're guilty of that, you are as bad as any person who's ever walked the earth. And there's all kinds of other ways we could say that. I'll never forget at my wedding. Um, the good friend of mine is doing the wedding ceremony and he walks into the wedding rehearsal and the lady running the wedding rehearsal sees him walk in and just says, hey you, could you go over there and just go get some chairs and, and we need somebody to go stack this stuff over here. Not 100% why she did that, I could guess as to what some of her reasons might have been, and I won't even verbalize them, but she did that. And then she looks over at me and she says, 
hey, Roger, where is the pastor anyway? <laughs> and I said, uh, he's the guy you just sent for chairs. <laughs> and she said, oh, pastor, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you don't have to get the chairs. And I'm just saying, he was happy. He just went off and started getting the chairs. But I'm just thinking, well, why not? If he's the pastor, then he gets the royal treatment. If he's not, I don't know who you are, but go, go, get, go get some chairs. We need to be careful not to be people that do that. Sin is as bad as every other sin, so we need to speak and act. What's in your heart comes out of your words and it comes out of your actions. And we need to live as those who will be judged under the law of liberty. Now, here's my question for you. Do you think that by being merciful and showing mercy to other people, you deserve God's mercy? See, the law of liberty is that God has saved us and put a desire in our heart to do what's right, and it just flows out of us. We love the Lord, we love people, we care about them, and we want to obey what God says. And when we see attitudes in ourselves that shouldn't be here, we want to get rid of those things. That's the law of liberty. It's not freedom from righteousness. It's freedom to be able to be righteous. And Jesus goes on, and this is a pretty powerful thing in verse 13. He says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Now, could you get the idea there that you're earning mercy by showing mercy? You could think that. But I would just say the Bible tells us that's not true. We don't earn God's favor because of what we do. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 tells us that. He saved us not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. See, when God saves you, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and you get a different heart. You get desires that want to please the Lord. And when God has shown you mercy, you're going to want to show that mercy to others. Judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. It's something that gets our attention. It's something that says God is serious about this. Now, we have a sinful flesh. We don't always just do the things that we're supposed to do. Sometimes we are fighting about a battle inside of ourselves, but a true believer has a desire to obey God, and it's an accurate characterization that people who don't show mercy have never been shown God's mercy because when you see yourself correctly and when you see other people correctly, you will show mercy. And so we don't want to be those who receive no mercy. So I want to read you a story, Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to close with this passage. It's a long one, but I want to read it to you and I want to remind you of the importance of showing mercy. Matthew 18, then this is Matthew 18, 21 to 35 and this is the story Peter came up and he says to Jesus this is in verse 21 how often will my brother sin against me and I will forgive him as many as seven times so he thinks he's giving this great example and then Jesus says to him I say to you not seven times but 70 times seven and then he tells this story and he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants and one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent has 100 pounds of gold, so this guy owns it, owes him a lot. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The three dots is when, uh, on the screen, that's when the guy's begging, please, I can't pay you back, please forgive me. And God has, this king has mercy, and he forgives that slave and says, all right, you don't have to pay me back. And then the story goes on, 
And just in case you don't know, this is you. Um, this is a story actually about you. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So that's a hundred days wages. So that's three months pay and not a not hundred pounds of gold times 10,000. So he owes him a much smaller amount. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Now, I'm going to just make, connect some dots here for you. Um, the first story is a story about you and your sin against God. This second story is about the other people who have sinned against you. Now think about that. Sometimes the things people have done to you, have you ever met somebody who's been tortured, who's been sexually abused, who's been physically abused? Like there are people who have had such terrible things happen to them. Somebody who, somebody murdered their son or somebody who, who just have faced all kinds of human tragedy. In this story, the worst sin anybody could ever commit against you is the hundred denarii and the sin you've committed against God is the 10,000. Now, what's the problem? The problem is we don't see it that way, but Jesus tells us this story so that we will. And then he goes on, and it says in verse 31, the fellow servants see what's happened, and they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported that to their master and all that had taken place. In verse 32, then the master summoned him and said to him, because you pleaded with me, uh, he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, <laughs> this is crazy, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. Is Jesus serious about forgiveness and showing mercy and loving people? And the, the great thing about this is it cuts both ways. So if you're a person who's showed favoritism and you've disregarded people and ignored people, this is speaking to you. But if you're a person who has had other people treat you that way, this is speaking to you too. We forgive people and we are merciful to people and we don't value people based on what they have or what they can do, but because they're made in God's image. So as believers, we need to remember that we're on a spiritual rescue mission. And if you don't think about people correctly, you're not going to fulfill that mission the way God wants you to. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your kindness. I just ask that you would help us to see people the way you see them, to love them the way you love them. And Lord, that we would be diligent and really loving other people the way we love ourselves. And Lord, we're so grateful and so thankful for the way that you have forgiven us. Help us to be gracious and forgiving toward others in your name. Amen.